We're exploring what it looks like to, um, uh, to do faith together in a multi-generational setting, what it looks like to pass on our faith to the younger generations behind us, around us. Uh, and I'm just being reminded that we haven't taken the offering up yet. Um, so if, uh, uh, if the teams could pass the baskets around, uh, and this is a good opportunity to speak to those who are listening online and aren't aware that you might want to give online. You might never turn up here on a Sunday, but you want to partner with what we're doing, well, you can give online, go to the website and uh, click on some things. Uh, but for those who are here, that was pretty clear, wasn't it? For the, this is all Gareth's fault, can I just say? For those who are here, we love to put God first in our finances, and that's what's going to be happening now. If you are new to us and you're not sure what's going on uh, or why you would put any money in a basket, please allow the baskets just to go by, and I'll continue chatting about... Jesus. Is that okay? Was that smooth or what? And now I'm just going to walk off so we can, for the sake of the tape, we can just re-edit it and it looks like it starts fresh. Hi, welcome. How are we doing this evening? Fantastic. Faith for generations. Um, As a church, we're looking at three Ps as a priority for our, our vision. Position before God, partnering to serve, and planting for growth. And, and as, as Gareth's been saying, this not on our turf is a big part of partnering with other churches. But partnering also for us uh, means what does it look like to partner with the different people that we're, we're exploring faith together with, as people of different ages, generations, and stages. What does that look like? Whether you're a parent or not, uh, whether you've got um, grandkids, whatever stage of life you are. But, but that, that throws up all sorts of challenges for, for us as we talk about family, as we talk about home life. All of us have got different stories, and some of that will be really great, and some of it will be really painful. And we're, we're aware of that tension. One of the reasons um, tonight we're doing a panel is because there's so many different approaches that we could do tonight. So I, I'm going to share um, a wealth of wisdom between lots of different people who are going to come up um, here, but also want to hear from you in terms of what faith for generations means, what, what your experience of faith and learning faith and having faith nurtured in home environments looks like. So tonight, specifically looking at faith for generations in the home. Before we get onto faith, I want you to think about your home. I want you to think about the place that you live. And I wonder what you think might be the most significant advances in home life in the last 50 years. A survey was taken. What techn- technologically have been the most significant advances in the last 50 years? in the home. You might want to talk to the person next to you for 10 seconds, see if you can figure out. I'm going to give you the top three, see if you can get any of them. All right. Who reckons they know all three? Okay, we're going to have a little look on the screen. Number one, the most popular, central heating. Come on. Central heating. The second one is one I'm looking forward to. Indoor toilets. Come on. Put your hand up if you just went straight for broadband. Okay. different. (laughs) We're talking 50 years. And the third one... Hot running water. Wow. Well, I hope most of you have got at least some of the things like that in your home. 
That's certainly got you chatting. Home in the 21st century is um, an interesting concept, particularly in the West. We have this idea of home as being this, this uh, self-sufficient unit that's that where, we, where we facilitate the kind of nucleus family or an individual will set up and build home independent expressions of themselves. These homes um, are often independent units. Actually, in, in the Bible times, that's very different. And in lots of parts of the world right now, the way that we do homes is very different. It often involves extended families, as it did in the Bible time. It was built around the family as this most significant social unit. Households were extended families. So you might have grandparents, you might have uncles, you might have aunties, all staying in the same kind of compound, the same house. You just extend your house as your, as your family grew. It wasn't just about a nucleus. It wasn't just about an individual or a couple of parents or a parent and a child. It was about a bigger picture family. And it was about how we serve and take responsibility for the wider community. It was, it was part of the welfare um, approach. It was part of taking responsibilities for the, those around. As we look, I'm going I'm to just take a really quick broad brushstroke over the life of Jesus and, what, and how he interacted with homes. Because I think it's important for us to think about home and faith. Home and faith, statistics show, are so incredibly important when it comes to, to whether the next generation grows and moves on in, in the Lord. Now that might feel like a very uncomfortable statement because I'm aware there'll be parents here and you did your best, you gave your everything faith-wise in your home. And kids can still choose to go in a different direction. And that's hard, and that's, and that's painful. So there's no magic bullet when it comes to faith. But it's, it's, it will be important for us to look at it a little bit. Um, I don't know how you got to church this morning. I was about to leave for church. I normally cycle in the morning. Karis comes a little bit later. with uh, I've got three children. Um, she comes a little bit later, so I cycle. I realized I'd left my bike three days ago at church, so I didn't have my bike. So I ended up cycling here this morning on a BMX bike. <laughs> It is so uncomfortable cycling on a BMX. And I looked very silly, looking quite smart, but on a, a BMX like this. But I did the best with what I had. And sometimes, you know, we need to just give permission for parents, for people who are, are sharing faith, for our homes and our home life, as we reflect on whether we had the best impact or not. Sometimes it's just about doing the best with what we're given. Sometimes that looks like a BMX. Sometimes it might look like a Mercedes, but as long as we get to church in the morning. Did that, did that get confusing? Right, let's go, to the, let's go to the life of Jesus. Straight off the bat, I, I want to just say that I want you to reimagine what home is about. I want you to reconsider what home is all about. Jesus starts off and makes a very strong statement about home. He wasn't born in one. His life didn't start in a home. It started in a stable. He was a refugee for the first years of his life. As a 12-year-old, he was comfortable staying in the temple while his parents went back to their home, back for after a pilgrimage and walked away. He was left there for three days until his parents figured out 
again, another sign that the community, the family, was a big picture family. It wasn't this parents and kids. During his ministry, he was asked about, uh, about someone, someone was interested in following him in, Luke, in Matthew 8. And Jesus said, Birds have nests and foxes have holes, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. There was something about Jesus' priorities that, that meant he left homes. He didn't have a permanent abode because he was called to different places at different times. He affirmed the faith of those who literally tore a home open so that they could get their paralyzed friend in. When it comes to the physical location of home, he was more concerned about the kingdom than about what things looked like. I wonder if that might be a challenge for us. I wonder if it might be a challenge about what you're building in the physical place of your home. Now, Karis has just spent two days making our kitchen look lovely by repainting the cupboards. I'm not against home. I'm not against celebrating those places where we find rest, but it's about priorities. Does that make sense? No one said yes, so I'll keep trying to make the point. You should have said yes. Um, He visited people in their homes, surprising people with the the places he went to and the people he associated with. He, He shattered all sorts of norms when it came to home life and where he would eat and who he would invite. He even spurned his nucleus family when he was preaching, when he was about the, the kingdom stuff. And people said, your mothers and, and brothers are outside. And he said, my, my mother and brother are those who put God's word, who hear God's word and put it into practice. He had a priority that was big picture family, big picture kingdom, and not just small home, small family. Jesus was about the kingdom. If a home served that, then great. He was nourished and fed in homes. He rested in homes. In Mark 7, he entered a house and didn't want anyone to know. He broke into homes, it would appear. <clears throat> he, knew, he knew what a home could be, a place of refreshing and resting. And he went into a home specifically to be away from people. And that's okay. Jesus did that. If a home would hold him back from kingdom business, though, it wasn't important to him. As we just do a quick overview of how Jesus interacted with home, I wonder if that helps you reflect on your particular circumstances when it comes to faith and putting God first and kingdom activity. Is your home a help or a hindrance for kingdom work? Now, what's that got to do with raising the next generation? What's that got to do with um, what people see of how we use our home? Statistics show that it is how, it's, it's how faith impacts the decision. The most significant thing when it comes to parenting and faith and all that kind of stuff is whether your faith at home actually makes an impact in the day-to-day decision-making. It's not whether you, you do a Bible study in the morning around the table. I try and do that with my kids. I was trying to encourage Bethany, who's five recently, because she's just learning to read. Uh, and we, we, we try and do a Bible study in the morning. Not a Bible study, that sounds really grand. What I mean is read a kid's Bible story um, while they're throwing cereal all over the place. <clears throat> and I was trying to encourage Bethany about her, her reading, because uh, she's trying to learn to read at, at school at the moment. And I, said, I turned around to her and said, Bethany, one day you'll be the one who, who reads the, uh, the Bible story over our breakfast. 
And she said, yeah, Dad, because you'll be dead. <laughs> uh, that wasn't quite what I was thinking. It, wa it wasn't quite what I was thinking. And I hope we don't have to wait till I die for Bethany to get into the scriptures by herself. But it's not, there's value in as families, and maybe you've got some experience of, of, of seeing your parents as you grew up, seeing them reading God's word, or, or having specific times where you knew God was a priority for them in that moment. And there are things that we could learn from that. And gathering and, and trying to figure out how to do worship as, as teenagers grow up or as, in whatever context. But actually, some of it is just about how open you are to discuss faith and doubt, how open you are to, be, to live an authentic life, to struggle, to ask some really big questions of God with other people around, with the younger generation around, how you use your home, whether your home is that safe place where you go and you, and you hide away from the usual Sunday crowd of church so you can be honest and you can and swear and do whatever, you, you can live your normal life. This is this kind of conflict of how you live in one place to another. Or do you open your home to the people that Jesus would have been interacting with? Or is it a neat and tidy castle that you pull the drawbridge up on? It's not about religious practice alone. If you're thinking about uh, the parenting stuff and parenting for faith, can I just really recommend, if, if Rachel Turner came and spoke a couple of weeks ago, if you didn't manage to catch her um, uh, opening this Faith Regeneration sermon series, I really would encourage you to listen to it, but also if you want to go deeper into what it means to impact uh, younger generations, young kids, youth, um, in, in the way that you live, in the decisions that you make, in how you communicate, all of that kind of stuff, I can really recommend uh, the training that's going to happen this Saturday. This Saturday, there's details about it in this, um, in this brochure, but I'd encourage you, it's not just about people who are primary carers. For, for Rachel, about 50% of the people that come to her training sessions are primary carers. The rest are just people who have some level of influence with, with kids uh, and know the value of, of, of being trained in, in modeling Christ around them. There's a whole bunch of books and materials that you can get if you want to think more about home life and, and, and if you've got grandkids or, 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 or cousins or whatever. There's stuff that, that we can recommend, Rachel Turner stuff. But you know what? The, the, when it comes to parenting, when it comes to home life and faith, there can be so many questions. There can be so many, are you doing this right? Are you doing that? Do you do this as a family? Do you do that? Have you got this right? Have you got that? The biggest question is, is the Lord on the throne in your home? Has he got a space? Is there a kingdom priority? Maybe that's hard for you because you're, not, um, you're, you're living in a, in a strange place. You're, you're far away from home at the moment. You're a student or you don't run a simple, straightforward home structure. But there's still something that can be said of using that space and that place where you rest or where you go back to each night. To put, the, to put the Lord on the throne, to make sure that he is king first and foremost, because that is going to have an impact in the people that you have there, the, what you model of faith to a younger generation. Nothing beats a space where God is enthroned. 
that's always going to feel very limited in terms of a, an introduction. But hopefully, as we explore this a little bit more, we're going to have a few more people join me. We're going to get some sofas up. And we're going to put a, um, a text number on the screen. So, so you can text any questions that you've got around home, faith. But also, I want to encourage that we just have a conversation. And you might just want to text in something that's really impacted you about um, someone who modeled faith in the home or, or someone who was impacted your faith as you grew up. Um, so we're going to explore this a little bit. Um, I'm going to ask a few questions of our panel people in a moment. Um, but why don't we just start, why don't you just start talking to the person next to you about some of the things you've heard, whether you agree, disagree, and some of the questions that you might want to ask a panel. And you've got about two minutes while we set up. Is that okay? Okay, go for it. Great. Um, so we're going to put uh, a phone number up so you can start texting and hassling and making comments, questions, um, bits of feedback. Um, let's have a bit of a, uh, a conversation around this. Now, my apologies. This is not the average cross-section of society. And there's, um, unfortunately, we, we, we can't cover every age, stage, and all of that kind of stuff, so, but we'll do our best. And we might well just end up throwing questions back at you in case you've um, got something. But we have, we've got a nearly bold, bold person. Token old, to token old person. We've got some, all sorts of quirky people. Um, uh, <laughs> and I'll let them introduce themselves. Uh, I'm going to pass you that, Karis, so you can um, monitor all the questions that are coming in. Uh, all the comments and that kind of stuff. Uh, but I guess we'll just, we'll just start by asking each one of our panel just to describe um, what home currently looks like for you, your home setting, what, what... Oh, yeah, we do need a mic, don't we? Yeah. Slick. Slick. Why don't you start us off, Rich? Yeah. Thank you. Actually, I think that's the first time I've been to church in the morning and the, after and the evening and seen you had to start the service... Again, in both cases. Yes, I'm so sorry about that. Because this morning, wasn't it that you managed to offend every woman in the house? Yep. On Mothering so. Sunday, if I remember rightly, right? So, I, I was trying to make a good comment about, because like, we started... You called with, them roar, roaring lions. I said, how appropriate is it that we start the, the <laughs> Mothering Sunday with a song about roaring lions? Going, I mean, fierce women. There wasn't a woman in the house that didn't want to kill him. <laughs> it was quite funny. Um, so my name's Richard. Uh, uh, I have, I'm married to Susie and I have three kids, uh, 16, 14 and 10. Uh, they're all here at this church and um, I kind of let it slip to them that I was, I, you know, David called me this afternoon and, um, and I, I told them on the way in that I was going to be talking and my 14-year-old daughter kind of looked at me like horrified and said, kind of like, are you going to tell them the truth? 
<laughs> no, no, we don't want that. So I said, no, don't worry, I'll lie, it's fine. Um, I'm Anna, um, married to Duncan, this one here, and um, we are currently living back in Cheltenham, but um, we've been out of the country for three and a half years. Uh, three and a half years ago, we uh, gave up our home, people uh, rented it for three and a half years, and uh, we were living in community in Africa um, and traveling around the world um, doing stuff for Jesus, and uh, now we're back, still doing stuff for Jesus, but uh, back living in a house, preparing to sell it to move somewhere else. So that's our situation. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of looked like never been in the same place for more than three months in one go. Mm. Um, so we literally have just been kind of, here we are, here we are, someone else's house. We've got our own little space, but it's only for a few weeks, and then somewhere else. So that's kind of been our slightly unusual journey for the last three and a half years. Can I just ask, jump in on that, d- d- and does that... Has that been a hindrance for, for faith? Has that, has that mean in terms of passing on faith to people around you? Does that, do you feel like that's limited what you can do? Or? Uh, no, it's, it's been flipping challenging at times. Um, like doing that for a few months is kind of one thing, doing it for three and a half years. Uh, it's definitely been, uh, it, it's, come, it's come with its cost, mm. but at the same time we've done it because it's out of obedience to Jesus. And so if Jesus calls you to something, there will always be grace for it. Mm. And so although we've come to a place where we are very much ready to just be in one place for a season, um, it, we wouldn't have changed it for anything. And it hasn't hindered us at all. Like if God calls you to something, well, it's the best option. So, yeah, we've seen all sorts of people encounter Jesus uh, through kind of our home life in one sense uh, over the last three and a half years. I'm Becca, I'm 22, and I'm also living in Cheltenham at the moment. I've grown up here my whole life, um, and then I had three years away when I was at uni in Exeter, so I have also experienced three different homes in Exeter as well, each different year, Um, but I am back now living with my parents at the moment. And I'm going to get married in September, so then I'll be starting a new home. just wanted her to say that bit. Um, I'm Karis, and I'm married to David. Come on. um, (laughs) uh, We've got three children um, that at the moment I am looking after. Uh, How old are they? I mean, I know, but they... (laughs) (laughs) They are five, two, and nine months. Um, So it's a big job, but fun. Great. Any good questions coming in? Yeah, do you know what? We've got a ton. Except I got a little bit confused because I think it's the same phone that was used at Christmas. So there was like things about how you stress relieve at Christmas time, like drinking Prosecco and stuff. So I was like, what is this? Anyway, we're back. We're back. We're back on task. Here we go. So um, I thought this was a good one. Uh, Excuse me. So somebody... Texted at Christmas has also texted today. Um, how do I set example of faith? Hang on. Strong. This is yeah. Solid. This <laughs> Sorry, is, David. Here it is. Okay, this one. As a student, how do you get the balance between being gracious and patient with your housemates, but also not being walked over? For example, cleaning, tidying when it would get people, when it would be easy to get frustrated with people. Does that make sense? Yeah. I thought it was a good question. Becca, how about you? (laughs) It's a really good question. Um, So, set a bit of context. In my second year of university, I moved into a house out of halls with some friends. 
uh, well, they were sort of friends. <laughs> they were the group of people that God really impressed on my heart that I needed to live with them primarily as a witness um, to Jesus in their, um, in their lives. Um, so I moved in with two girls and three guys. Um, and we had to choose it really early on in first year. So by the time second year came around, I really wasn't very close to any of them. Um, and I was really struggling with the thought of moving in with, in particular, these three guys. Um, I found them really, really difficult, um, and they didn't seem to be respectful of me at all. Um, and that kind of manifested in lots of different ways, but in particular relating to this question. Um, they left the house in an absolute tip all the time. Um, they frequently used my things in the kitchen. They broke stuff. They never apologised. Um, in terms of safety, they would come home from nights out and leave my, uh, the front door wide open, and I had the downstairs bedroom. Um, they let a stranger in one night to our house. There's all sorts of things going on. Um, and I found it a real challenge, because obviously I really felt like this was my mission field for the year, and I was really committed to seeing it through and to letting Jesus use me. And obviously I wanted to be an example of grace um, and of forgiveness and of... Um, yeah, just unconditional love, really. Um, but at the same time, I didn't want to be a walkover, and I didn't want it to actually run me into the ground to the point where I needed to move out. Um, so I think it was, honestly, it was just asking Jesus every single day, how do you want me to love them? How can I love them today? And sometimes that would look like, um, it genuinely would look like one Sunday just spending half of my day cleaning up their mess in the kitchen. But I didn't, in my, my, I think it was all to the attitude, and um, I had such a support network around me, but I would, in those moments, I would do this for Jesus. Um, and I wouldn't do it because I was telling them, oh, don't worry what mess you make, I'll always clean it up. I was doing it because I thought, actually, Lord, if I do this for you, um, and if they're going to see anything through this about you, then I want to do that. Um, and then also at times, they would be, they'd try to be quite controlling, and actually I would, I would use my own, um, I don't know what the word is, like I'm, I'm a powerful person, I'm not a victim, so I don't have to bend over backwards to do things for them or whatever, I, I had a choice in everything, so sometimes they would ask me to do things that would seem totally outrageous, or they'd accuse me of things which I'd never done, and in those moments I would look at them and I would say what I felt was the truth, but I would say it in love, and sometimes they would try and ask me to do things, and I would just say, do you know what, I might do that, but I'm not going to do that today, or... Um, you know, I was asked to do a chore. One of the guys tried to set up a chore rotor, and it was just totally unfair. Um, but I would say, okay, I am going to do that, but I'm going to do that when it suits me. Um, or I'm going to do that in a couple of days' time, or whatever. Um, so I think I used my, my own power in that. But then also, I don't know, I think it all just came down to my attitude. And I would just ask Jesus, actually, what is it that you're calling me to do today? Um, and sometimes that would be just to be kind to them. But it didn't always look like doing their cleaning and things like that. But sometimes it did. So I don't know. Thank you. I mean, I mean, you start, it started straight from a point of, you didn't choose home in terms of what would be most convenient. It was, it was about being, following God. So already from the start, it it was a, it was a, it was a mission field for you. It was, it wasn't just, how can I be most comfortable at, at uni, which is, which is amazing. Um, I'm going to head it over to that, that side and so Can you just, one of the three of you tell us about some some experience in your home life, whether it's your upbringing or current, um, that's impacted you around faith? Yes. <laughs> around faith. It's been great if you actually circulated any kind of questions beforehand, David. Mm. You know? Yeah. Um, I think, I mean, it's incredibly hard, I think, to bring up kids 
through being through kind of when they're really little. And it's relatively, you know, it's great that you can sit down with them at breakfast and, and read them, you know, something from the Bible. But you try doing that with a teenager who doesn't want to hear, and, you know, you're going to wear the bowl of cereal pretty, mm. pretty quickly. Um, and so I, I think, you know, kind of how, as a parent, do you kind of demonstrate what you believe in, but also not push it mm. kind of t- too far that you actually kind of burn bridges and, and lose the ability to, to kind of to speak truth into, into your kids' lives? And I think it's, um, I, th- I think for us as a, as a family, it, it's, it's about, um, it's re- been really important to establish our home as a, as a really safe place. Mm. So as a place which is, we, we view it as a bit like a kind of a harbor. So, you know, we don't, we, we, we take a lot of care to make sure that things that could damage our kids are, isn't allowed through the front door, mm. you know? And, and so if friends, if we know that there are friends who aren't nice to them, we're really, really, um, cautious about letting those people into our house. You know, who they choose to interact with at school is up to them. But you know, letting those people into into that safe harbour is something which, um, which I think as parents, you know, you, you have to be really, really wise about. Um, and and I think in doing that, you um, you can kind of have some kind of level of authority um, to speak truth in, and, and faith into into the lives of your children. But I think also you have to be incredibly authentic. You know, I think you have to be who you are. You can't be someone else. You can't be something fake or different. Um, because I think teenagers can spot that a million, million miles away. You know, it's almost as if they've got a built-in kind of BS radar, you know. And, yeah. and, it, and, 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 and I think, yeah, sorry. <laughs> oh, yeah, so I wasn't allowed to say that, wasn't I? Yeah. Um, and, and, and so I think you have to be really, really authentic. And I think if you are really authentic, then, then, then you can... Um, you can speak in, you can have authority to speak into, into the lives of your children. So sharing your faith, sharing what, you know, the stories about, um, about what's happened in your lives mm. can be really, really significant in the lives of your children across generations. Yeah. So talking about what happened in your grandparents uh, and what happened in their lives and how faith affected them and, and all the way through the generations um, has been a kind of a favorite topic for us. Cool. Thanks. Um, question? Um, I've got a couple of things actually here that are good. Oh, sorry. Thank you. Um, so. Have you used a mobile phone? Yeah, <laughs> they're coming in really thick of us, but I lose one. I've had. So this is a really good example of somebody who um, has obviously experienced um, just people outside people coming into their home and inspiring their face. It says, "My dad used to bring people home who had nowhere to live, and they would have dinner with us." As we got older, both parents would bring older people around for dinner who would have been lonely otherwise. It was a blessing to my brother and I to meet and be able to talk to different people. And they were always so thankful that my parents showed them such love and often got to hear about Jesus. And I just think that in terms of what David was saying about the, the wider, you know, how do we open home up? How do we bring in um, family um, and extend it from just being that nuclear, nuclear bubble? Um, and then this one was a good one. They're all good, by the way, but this is a good one. Um, How do we get the most wisdom from older generations? How do we let grandparents and great-grandparents speak effectively into our lives? And I just wonder whether there's anyone on the panel who had grandparent stories or older people's stories to share. I think just an an encouragement. Um, I was just thinking as you you were sharing that story of... um, uh, my parents were similar. They always invited people that 
um, were quite lonely, that didn't have community into our home. I think one way you learn from the older generation is you spend time with them. And you, um, you need to you seek people out. Um, don't always expect that God's going to drop someone in front of you, but actually go out of your way to seek out um, people and spend time with them. And I think so often, and I know um, this series is, series is all about the generations, but so often we focus on the younger generations as being um, the, the line of communication and uh, where we kind of place our value there, that they're the upcoming generation. But actually, I think the biggest um, lost generation in the church is actually the older generation. And I think having traveled to Africa and to other cultures, so many other cultures honor the elderly in a way that in this culture we do not do. Mm. And I think even as kind of a younger person myself, I, would, I, I even kind of look at my peers and look at myself growing up and I just think I haven't always honored the elder generation in the, in the way that I should have. And God's been really speaking to both of us about that, even in the season of transition and coming back of how we honor our parents, how we honor um, those around us who are older because they carry so much wisdom and they've gone before. And um, sometimes it's easy to open your home to those who are younger, but actually there's a whole generation out there who are so lonely um, there's such loneliness, even like in the, during the snow and in, in the, um, when it was snowing and people were getting snowed in. And you start to hear all these stories of elderly people who are at home alone and trapped in their houses and, and even just dying in the cold. And you just think, how sad is it that there's no one there to be with them and there's no one there to support them? And actually, we as a church need to be the ones who look for those people on our streets, look for the elderly people who are living on their own. Go and knock on their door. Go and offer to um, make them a cup of tea go and take a gift around to them or some flowers like and look for them and 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 show that you see them because so many in our culture don't honor them and don't see them and that's something that God's been personally challenging us on and how we can um, honor those who have gone before us and really show love to them as well just a just a couple of quick stories um so we've we've been quite involved in working alongside people who are working especially with uh kind of in red light areas in southeast asia and when you step into those situations, it's very easy to have a heart for the girls that you see who are selling their bodies and to actually turn a, a, a judgmental heart towards your stereotype of the kind of person or the kind of guy that might be the ones purchasing those girls. And we, we had a real turning point um, a couple of Christmases ago. We, we, we were in Cambodia on Christmas Day and we went down to the riverside in Phnom Penh, which is kind of one of the main areas where a lot of... Um, there's a lot of kids who were sold and bought. Um, and, it's, and it's a horrific place. Um, but we, we just went down to worship. And as we looked out, we saw this splattering of individual Western men who were probably kind of like 50s and 60s, just kind of sat by themselves having Christmas dinner alone. And the mind kind of wanders of kind of like, oh, I bet I know who they are, and the kind of judgment stirs in the heart. But very quickly, God actually broke our hearts. And I thought, when, when for a single one of those guys, when did it ever cross their mind when they were younger? Like, when I get older, I want to be really bored and miserable and lonely, travel to a foreign country and try and find love in a really unhealthy way. And, uh, and it just struck us, and we've had this conversation numerous times, if we knew how to do community better in the Western world, few of those men would be there because actually they'd know what real love in family and in community is. Mm. 
And, uh, and I just want to encourage you, if you don't, if, if, if you're like, but we don't have that culture yet, we'll start that culture. Mm. Mm. A culture only happens when we, we actually become a part of it and we establish it and set it up. So I used to run a youth group over in Chipping Camden. Uh, for four years, I was a youth pastor over there. And we... We had a youth group, and sometimes we would have seasons of meeting in the church building, and sometimes we'd have seasons of actually meeting out in people's homes. And we went through one season for, for a year or so, maybe even longer, a couple of years, where we had an elderly couple in our church who were probably in their 70s, and they had this mansion, very wealthy people, but real hearts for the Lord, loved Jesus so much. And they were like, we want to engage with the young people, but we have no idea how, so we just want to offer our house. So every evening on a Friday, they'd literally have sometimes up to 50 young people People, teenagers come and just run around their house like they would go crazy and I'm, I'm sat there thinking oh cheapers like they have no idea how expensive that painting on the wall is that they just knocked off like these guys were wealthy but they just opened their homes but these young people loved actually meeting in the home of grandparent aged people more than they did in, in, in terms of coming to a church building and I'm talking about kids who weren't raised in the church like outside people there's something attractive about this kind of engaging with other generations so if you're in that place of wanting to do it just do it like don't wait for a culture to be set by other people great thanks Duncan yeah um, I just wanted to share another um, text of an example of um, that someone's been shamed uh, it says my amazing mum I've always known her putting God first and although family life was hugely challenging she always put Jesus first, and the image of her doing her Bible studies and prayer is a constant, precious pattern to have modelled to us. Um, and I think I, I would echo that for my for my own family, my own upbringing, my parents. Um, just they always had quiet times, and I always knew that they were doing that, and they would let me go in and sit with them while they were um, reading the Bible or praying, and and I would just snuggle up next to mum while she did that, and just there was just this sense of wow. And then I sought to do that as well throughout uni when I left home because there was this solid pattern and routine of, of them seeking and knowing Jesus in a way that I really was hungry for, having watched them be so hungry for him. So, um, yeah. Great. Any more questions, Karis? Oh, yeah. yeah. Can you do one? Of your yeah. Um, Becca, what, what was one of the most um, significant aspects of home life for you that growing up? That, that shaped your faith? So I've had the massive privilege of growing up in a Christian home uh, where from day zero um, my parents um, encouraged me in my faith both personally encouraging me to read my Bible um, to engage with youth things at church and so on but also um, as a family um, my parents have been very intentional about creating time as a family where we read the Bible, where we worship together, where we pray for each other, where we're open about where we're at on our journey of faith and things like that. So, as I say, I've had the privilege of growing up with that my whole life. Um, and, as I say, that was really intentional. Um, so, from, I don't know what age, maybe about 12, um, my parents introduced a weeknight where we had to um, be at home. We weren't allowed to make plans with friends or anything. It was a Wednesday night. Um, and that was our night where we would do something fun together, like play a game, have a meal together, um, and then we would um, have a little bit of worship. And I always felt so awkward, because me or Joshy had to um, play the piano or something, and we would laugh, and it would just feel really awkward. And I, it, to be completely honest, I never really looked forward to it. Um, 
And we were kind of, you know, you could say we were forced to do it, but actually, after a while, it just became really special. Um, and we would pray for each other, we would share what we wanted prayer for, we would read the Bible together. Um, and that really shaped my faith, actually, because it was such a consistent thing that even though every week I, I didn't really f- always fill up for it, and I know that I can speak for others in my family as well, it just put that solid um, thing in our week, every single week. Um, and that just, for me, even I'd be going up and down in my faith, you know, I might have times where I was reading my Bible every day or connecting with Jesus every day, um, and other times where I really didn't. But actually that consistent thing in our family meant that Jesus was being acknowledged at least once a week in our home. Um, and I, yeah, I really had a privilege in, in growing up with that, and that massively shaped my faith. And we did that on holidays as well. So it just whenever we were, at, um, and even now when we're together as a family, that is, that is a core thing that we do, because Jesus is yes for us individually to have a relationship with him individually, but also as a family. And I'm so encouraged. You know, so much of my faith actually has been encouraged and built up through seeing what God's doing in my family. Mm. Um, and yes, at church, yes, in people's lives, like my friends and people who I don't know and stories and talks and all of that. But actually seeing um, Jesus' work in my siblings' life as well and in my parents and seeing their breakthrough and our family breakthrough. When we pray for people together, we have members of my family who aren't Christians and there's just, uh, yeah, a real unity in that as family. Um, that's created such a safe place to share our faith with each other, um, as well as it being an individual. So that's been a massive shaper for my faith. Brilliant. Thank you. I reckon we've probably got time for one more question, and then we should have some tea and coffee. Or maybe even prayer ministry. I forgot about that. <laughs> Gareth forgot about the offering, okay? I can forget. Um, yeah. Um, Okay, how do you juggle trying to open your home to who Jesus would to who Jesus would when you've got young children at home and may feel cautious letting anyone in when it's where your kids are? Is it just a case of trusting God or is it wise to be more cautious? I think that's a really very good question. Um, Should we I, leave it there? I'm gonna take <laughs> gonna take a little bit of it to start with. because um, when Dave and I were were first married, we were very much like, you know, we'll do anything, go anywhere. For you, Lord Jesus, and then, um, which we still are, by the way. But having children, it does, it does. There was, I suppose, more of a, a caution in that. And are we still willing? And do we still are we still going to hold our hands open to the Father and say, "Take us wherever, uh, and do whatever you want"? And I think, I think, with this question, it is a matter of walking in step with the Spirit. And what I mean by that is, um, kind of. You know, we've had um, people come and live in our house. We've had, we, and we, we seek to be open homes, but we will do it asking the Father, is it right to have this person with us? And we will keep asking when they're with us, how long for, Father? Is there any, you know, what else can we put in place around them if that's needed? Or, um, and so, um, but I think we're not, we're not fear, we're not driven or led by fear. We walk in faith. Uh, and Jesus always leads in faith. Uh, and I think so this question, you know, some of it, and particularly as a parent, you know, so much fear can shut you down and build up your castle and make you isolated. And actually, we want to be people of faith, no matter where we are um, in, our, in our walk with him and how, how old we are, how young we are. We want to be walking in faith and in step with the Spirit. So that would be, I don't know if that answers the question, but... Rich, yeah. yeah. Rich. Yeah, I, um, I think it's a really great, amazing question. Um, a couple of years ago, I noticed that uh, my kids weren't having as many friends home as I imagined that they would. 
And it wasn't that they didn't have friends, it was that it suddenly kind of tweaked and dawned on us that they were slightly apprehensive about inviting their friends home to a kind of Christian home because, you know, that was going to be a bit awkward, wasn't it? Because parties when you're a teenager can be quite good fun. And, and if you've got a bunch of Christian parents, um, then maybe they're going to, you know, make it not so much fun. Um, and, 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 and it kind of transpired. We, we, we eat as a family, like, every mealtime we can. So pretty much every breakfast, every, lun- every lunch at the weekend, and certainly every dinner. And we sit down, and one of the things that we do, if you've ever been to our house, you'd know, is that we say, you know, what was your best bit and what was your worst bit? And it gets people talking about their day in a way that they might not. You know, teenagers quite often, especially their teenage boys, can just kind of grunt. Um, but, you know, if you get into this discipline of asking, so what, what happened today? What was the best bit that happened to you? What was the worst bit? And, and it turned out that our kids were terrified about inviting their friends around because if we asked this question, then the, the likelihood was that their friends would kind of grunt, you know, and, and, not, and not be willing to kind of answer or engage with us. And, and the idea of bringing people around um, for a party was, was kind of terrifying because maybe we, we would be an embar- you know, a, a set of embarrassing kind of Christian parents. Um, and then a, about a year ago, um, one of them took the plunge and realized that they were going to, you know, take a leap of faith. Maybe, I don't know what happened. Maybe their friends kind of say, hey, we've never come around to your house. It's your turn to have us around. And, um, and it was really amazing. There was this kind of breakthrough where, um, where we had to be wise about what, who we invited in and what we let them do in our house. Um, and I think that that was incredibly challenging to us as, as parents. We had to um, ask our parents and our grandparents and grandparents around us for their advice and their wisdom, knowing that there would be people who would be drinking underage, knowing that there would be there was a good chance in this, you know, that there would be drugs, that there would be kind of people you know, doing things in our house that we we weren't happy about, and and so inviting people in to your house, um, what we realised was that you we're called to, to shine as light. We're called to be light in people's lives. And the way to do that is to be in their lives. And so you can't, it's very difficult to do that from your own little castle and not have them kind of come in and be part of your life and part of your community. And what, what we had to learn as parents was that we had to kind of let go of some of the stuff and trust our kids. They weren't going to be kind of drug addicts and sleeping with each other just you know, by inviting their friends into our house. Um, and they had to let go of a few things as well and allow us to be who we were mm. and ask, mm. you know, and engage with their friends and talk to them. And actually that wasn't, we weren't as terrifying to, to their friends as, mm. as, it, as it turned out. And, and now I think the house is, I don't know, they won't go away. Can't go away. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, it's like an infestation of kids. Brilliant. And what's your home address? Yeah. <laughs> no way. <laughs> well, can we give these guys a round of applause? Thank you so much. Just going to ask the, the band. Why don't we stand? We'll take some some moments just to to respond. Stand if you're able to. We've taken a little bit more time. Hopefully that's not been too stretching or boring. And hopefully, if nothing else, just the challenge around: is does kingdom happen in your home? Is your home a hindrance to the work of the kingdom, or is it a help? to the things of the kingdom. And, and maybe there's just a straightforward response where you want to recommit the place that you are most regularly returning to, to be a place that is not just a shelter away from the storm, but it's also that place where kingdom activity can happen, where you can invite 
some people that Jesus would be inviting into. Should we just pray? Jesus, I just want, I want to pray. Thank you for the different perspectives. And Lord, not, not all of us would, will have heard our own story tonight. For some of us, we're in very different contexts than, than were shared from the front. Uh, but Lord, thank you that you know every single person here this evening. You know the challenge that home represents. You know the pain that it is. You know um, how far it feels from, from what we would love to see, whether it's as, as students, whether it's as kids, whether it's as parents, grandparents, people who would love to be parents, wherever it is, you know the pain. But also, Lord, you know the potential. And we want to ask, Lord, that you would meet us somewhere in the middle tonight. That come, Holy Spirit, we pray. And would you prompt us if there's particular things that we can be uh, just responding to in prayer in these moments. Yeah, just sense that um, if, if, in, if for any reason home is a, a painful place for you, I'd, I'd, love, I'd love to be able to pray for you. <clears throat> I'd love it if you, um, in a moment, could, could come forward. One of the things we like to do in our celebrations is just create some space to be prayed for. We'd love to just put a hand on your shoulder and just stand with you and pray for you. If for you... Uh, home represents quite a painful thing and there's stuff that, that, that tonight's brought up and you'd love to have the God of comfort draw near to you. What, can I encourage you just to, to come forward in, in a moment? You can come forward right now if you want. We're, we're happy to pray. I sense, sense there's some people here tonight as well that You've just seen an image of the home as being the springboard for kingdom activity and, it, and it's, it's kind of raised your level of expectation and you want to come forward and, and just respond and say, God, I, I'm hungry for, for, for home to be used in a different way. I'm hungry for you to stretch my expectation of what this home environment is. I'd love for you to come forward. Jesus. And if there's anything else, anything around your experience of being brought up in, in a Christian home or a non-Christian home, any grief associated with that stuff, I just sense that God just wants to be ministering. So why don't you just begin to come forward if you want to be equipped as a, as a parent, grandparent, uncle, auntie, and how you communicate faith to those who don't have faith or whose faith is in a different place. Why don't you come forward? We'd love to pray for you.